0: Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and the privilege and joy of allowing you to speak to us through it. Lord, we ask that you would come upon us with your Holy Spirit again this morning. That as we continue our reflections in the book of Philippians, that you would speak to each one of us. Whatever you want to say to us, we, your children, are listening. So, Lord, speak help us to understand for we ask this in the name of Christ Amen remember we've been looking together at the book of Philippians Paul is in prison in Rome under house arrest he's there, been sent there in chains to go and see whether he's going to live or die uh, and going to meet Caesar face to face and he's not sure what's going to happen he gets word from the church in Philippi where he's uh, studied the church on one of his missionary journeys and we read that uh, Epaphroditus comes and brings news they didn't have Facebook in those days so they couldn't just or WhatsApp they couldn't just give an immediate update or say Paul check this out so somebody had to do all that long long journey come and say this is what's happening. was a bit like that, wasn't so many years ago when I was uh, when I was 20. Now uh, it's quite a while ago, but uh, when I was a missionary in Africa, in Uganda, you know, we used to get post once once a year, once a week. That was it. And a friend of mine, uh, my best friend, back here in England, he had this accident in a car going down the motorway, 70 miles an hour and the car flipped over, went right off the motorway, ended up in a ditch with a spike coming through the top of the car. Anyway, he decided to send this in kind of series, just to lengthen it out a bit. So, he, so he wrote the first one saying he was driving and then his car flipped because of this gust of wind and he was shot off. And then he says, more to follow. <laughs> like, I'm waiting then. Well, part two never arrived. I got about part five, about four weeks later, and then after that I got part three, and then I got part six, and it was all messed up. Because in those, you know, 30 years ago even, you didn't have mobile phones, and you just had to wait for the weekly post, and it was a bit of hit or miss whether it would actually arrive anyway. But in Paul's time it's even worse, because here he is, he started these churches a million miles away, effectively, And so he has to wait for somebody to come all the way from Philippi to Rome. And say, this is what's going on. And that would have taken months. So it's actually old news anyway, but at least it brings him up to date. And that's what we get with the book of Philippians. He gets the information from Epaphroditus and then he starts to write back to the church there. And even though Paul is in this situation, the letter is so full of joy four chapters about 16, 17 times he says rejoice, rejoice, rejoice and in it he shows us the keys of how we can have joyful lives too turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 Philippians 3 and he says here finally finally my brothers now this is like you've all been in those sermons where a preacher will go now finally my last point and then they go on for like another hour, right? That's what Paul's doing here. He's only two-thirds of the way through, and he goes, finally. But actually, it really means, so then. So, in all, everything I've said before, now I'm really getting to the heart of the matter. This is really what you need to understand. And he describes to us where joy comes from. You know our world, when you look at our world, it is so lacking in real joy, isn't it? People search for joy all over the place. I don't know if you watched the football last night, you saw the Chile game? Ooh. Well, Colombia, yeah, we'll leave Colombia out of it for a minute. <laughs> but in the Chile game, they said, the commentator said, when Brazil finally won, thank goodness that Brazil won. Because they said, this country would just fall apart, they'll be like crying in the streets, like the partying would stop, the place would just be a disaster area if Brazil lose. Because they're destined almost to win the World Cup on their own soil. That's what they were saying. And they were like relieved that Chile almost hadn't won. Perhaps even though they almost deserved to win. But it's like an if only. If you're English, you know all about if-onlys, when it comes to sports. It's just, if only, we hadn't have lost our opening two games. If only, you know. And it's like, if this wasn't going to happen, if only this, then joy would come. So, at the early service, last week we were doing a load of gardening. And we, we put all these big planters out the back and... Uh, tidied it all up, did loads of work last week. And we got these planters, built a couple of planters, filled it up with earth, they look fantastic, nicely painted. Went and got a whole load of strawberries and all sorts of things, strawberries and blackberries and, and uh, tomato plants and all that. Nice, really looking spruced up out there, it's looking good. And then you wake up the next day and what you see These long, slimy trails. Like every slug in the borough has descended on the manse's back garden. Inika was out there last night. She found 20 under one bush. 20. There are now 40 half slugs. Because she's snipping away. But it's like, and you think, if only these slugs would just move to the next door neighbour's gardens and leave me alone. Because we sat down at the end when we'd finished it all, the end of last week. And we finished and we sat there and we went, you know what, this looks good. And there was a certain satisfaction and joy in our hearts to see what we'd accomplished. And we could sit down and then the slugs invaded. And now it's like, if only, if only they would just stay away, it would stay looking nice. If only those pesky leaves wouldn't fall off the trees and get on the garden, Uh, they would look nice. If only. And right throughout life, we tend to go, if only, if only, if only, then I can have joy. But Paul describes here where joy truly comes from. And it's not an if only kind of joy. First of all, let's, let's read together. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Over and over again, he just keeps saying, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Just keep repeating it. So often in our lives, we kind of think, well, I've heard that one. And then we dismiss it and move on. It's good to repeat these things over and over till they go in deep inside of us. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And then he describes where joy is not to be found. Listen to this. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the 8th day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law or a Pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness faultless what's Paul saying here? he's saying first of all you will not find joy in religion people come up to me because you know when I go to things doing a funeral visits and all sorts of things and when, when people who don't generally go to church I say, you know, I'm the minister and so on and so on and they go, oh I'm sorry, I'm not very religious and they apologise, they always apologise and I always say, good, I'm pleased and they say, but you're a minister, how can you be pleased I'm not religious? and I say, I'm not religious either in fact, I can't stand religion I would wipe religion out right now if I had half a chance and it's what Paul says Because he says here that religion actually takes us away from where joy is to be found. Look at what he says. He says, watch out for those dogs. Now here he's talking probably to the Judaizers. The Judaizers were those who basically said, you have to work out your salvation. Salvation comes by what you do. I can tell whether you're a good Christian or not by what you do. How many rotors are you on? How do you serve in the church? How much money do you give on a weekly basis? All these things. And they're saying, if you do these kind of things, then we can tell you whether you're saved or not. Tip you over the balance. So Paul says, this is rubbish. Absolute rubbish. They're the dogs, he says. Now, dogs are not like nice little pets that you get out of pet stores. The rabbis used to call the Gentiles dogs. And dogs, uh, like if you've been uh, in Africa, generally, dogs there are, are just roaming around. They're there to clear up the mess of everybody else. They don't fee- you don't feed a dog in Africa because they just live off the scraps and the rubbish that's left around. That's what you use them for. They're there just to keep your compound uh, where you live nice and tidy. Because they'll just pick up. They see a little bit of rubbish, a little bit of leftover food, they'll lick it up, they'll eat it because they're hungry. They see... Stuff lying about, they'll chew on it. They'll eat it. Like, human garbage bins. Or, or, uh, not human, but they are dog garbage, canine garbage bins. And the, the rabbis used to call the Gentiles dogs because Gentiles didn't follow the one true God. But Paul says here, you guys, you're the dogs. Don't worry about the Gentiles, you are. Not only are you dogs, he says, you're wicked. You're wicked because you're actually men who do evil. You're you're grabbing people and taking them away from knowing where joy is to be found. And then he says, you're mutilators of the flesh. Now Jews were very proud of their circumcision. A mark that they are a Jew. That they have all the rights of the people of Israel. And Paul says, you know what it is? You're just mutilating. You're making a mockery of something that God gave for the benefit of the people. And you're just using it. Using it as a kind of a, a crutch to, to draw people away from God. You're mutilators of the flesh, he says. These are strong words he's using. Harsh words. He says, we, we who follow Christ, we are the real circumcised people. doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentiles, if you follow Christ." We who worship by the Spirit of God. John four twenty four. Jesus said, you know, worship in spirit and in truth. That's the right worship. Not just the outward forms. So what is Paul really saying in all of this? He's saying, be very careful of religion. Look at what he says about himself. He says, well, if you want to hold up a religious person, look at me. I did everything right in ritual. I was circumcised on the eighth day, as it says you've got to do. I I went through all the right things at the right time. You want to have a tick box exercise? I ticked them all. Did it as it should be done. I'm of the right race, I'm an Israelite. Not only that, I'm of the right family, the family of Benjamin one of the best families out of all the tribes we weren't one of the families that, you know we were with Judah we were the better ones we didn't, we didn't go marching off like the northern kingdoms I'm of a good family I'm of the right religion I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews you want to know how to be a good Hebrew you want to know how to be a good Jew look at me, he's saying I'm up there I'm the poster boy you know I'm the Nehemiah of of Israel. You want to know what it is to be a great Jew? Look at me, because I tick all the boxes. I've got the right occupation. I was a Pharisee. I was up there with the top. You know, I was a minister amongst ministers. I'm there. What about my passion? About how I lived it out? You know what? I didn't just talk about it. I went and did it. I was a persecutor of the church. I put my faith in God into practice. I went out there and I went around and I rounded up as many Christians as I could. And I put them to death because they were spreading heresy. And what about morality? He said, you find one law I didn't keep. For legalistic righteousness, he said, I was faultless. In other words, you lay the Ten Commandments up against me. He says, I dare you to find one that I didn't do. I dare you to find where I fell against that. He said, if you want to talk about it being on a human level, about religion, I was the top guy. But look what he says, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, don't follow religion. What's he really saying? He's saying, you know what, you'll never find joy in coming to church. You'll never find joy in serving coffee or being on a committee, even becoming a minister. Becoming part of the board. You won't find joy there. You can come to church every week of your life. Every day you can be in the church if you want, but you won't find joy there. Not if you come just like that. You can sing every song, you can put your hands in the air, you can do everything that Ronnie asks you to do. You can clap in time. You can sing with the congregation when he asks you to sing. You can even join the worship group. You won't find joy. He says, in religion, in the outward expression you will not fight joy. And there is a danger for us. There is a danger that when we come to church, what we end up doing is just being familiar and comfortable. And we do the things, but we don't do what Paul says next. There's a real danger for us and we have to be careful. We have to examine our own hearts and say, God, search me and know me. Know my thoughts. That we don't just come week after week after week And go through the motions. Because there's no joy there. So where is joy? Look at this. Verse 7 onwards. But whatever was to my profit. However great I was up there. I now consider loss. In other words I forfeit it all. I quit it all. Do away with it. It's rubbish. For the sake of Christ. Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know that from verses 8 to 11 it's all one one sentence in the Greek. It just goes on and on and on and on. We split it up in English. Because it's, uh, but in the Greek it's it's just one one continual thought. So Paul is saying, I have no confidence back at verse four in earthly things. I put no confidence in the flesh. But where is his confidence? His confidence is in knowing Christ. So why is religion no good? Well, it's no good because it's not the basis of the assessment. When you go and meet with Christ, he's not going to ask you, have you been very religious? How many times did you come to church? Were you the treasurer? Did you do prayers? He's not going to ask you any of that. Did you serve coffee? Were you a minister? He's not even going to ask me that. He's going to say one question. Do you know me? And do I know you? That's it it's like going for a job interview it'd be like Ronnie when he came here, right? worship pastor Let's pick on Ronnie morning this morning only because Honduras got one less point than England did in the World Cup bless and he's married to a Colombian who's doing so well anyway imagine Ronnie coming here, right? he came here for an interview right? for, for, for the worship pastor and he comes here for the interview and we say to him, "Well, can you sing? Well, kind of sing in the shower, but no, nah, not really. Huh? Oh, well, can you play an instrument? Well, I kind of mess around a bit, but not really. No. Spoons? I'm good on the spoons. And we're like, "Going. Well, what, what can you do? Well, I'm good at football." Yeah, and Well I'm a nice guy. And can you cook? No. Only bake beans on toast. And we're going like I'm sorry, mate, but we need a worship pastor. We need someone that can come and do the job. And when I had to have said to Ronnie, You're a really nice guy. You've got a really lovely wife. But I'm really sorry. You know, on a Sunday morning, I'm not sure you can get up the front, not be able to sing, and just lead by playing the spoons. I'm not sure it would quite cut it. And we'd have to send him Now, why? Why? I mean, he came and he sang, and we just went, whoa. And he played, and so on. And led us in worship. Now, why? Because when you go for an interview, you're assessed on whether you can do that job, Right? Whether your credentials, whether your abilities meet up to what you're going to go to the interview for. And it's in the same way. When we go and meet with Christ, there is one assessment. Do you know Jesus? Not know about Jesus, but do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And does he have a relationship with you? That's it. That's the complete and utter criteria. That's all he's going to ask. In fact, he won't need to ask, because he'll know anyway. He'll say, welcome, or he'll say, like in Matthew 25, I don't know you. You could have done all these things, but I don't know you. Remember in the parable of the vine and the branches? You're dead, so I'm going to cut you off, because I don't know you. You're not part of me, you don't have that life-giving... Flowing through, we're not connected. Paul is just saying that. The only basis for assessment is whether you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the problem is that religion, church, often gets in the way of people having a relationship with Jesus. They come to church their whole life, but they never know Jesus. They know about him. They worship him. But they've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we do them the greatest disservice by saying that's okay. It's not okay. There will be many, many churchgoers who have been there their whole lives. That won't be in heaven. Because they will have never met Jesus. And whose responsibility is that? People like me. Who week after week say, you know, it's fine, just come. Put your offering in the plate, join a committee, come worship, that's all there is. And it's just a lie. And Paul and Jesus were so against religion, because Jesus said, that's what the Pharisees are doing. Tickle these boxes, you're doing alright, you'll go to heaven. And Jesus said, no. That's why he was so adamant against it. And that's why we need to have that same kind of hatred as Jesus says, as Paul says, for those things. Because it actually, it leads people into thinking that they're doing the right thing, when really they're missing out on the whole purpose. What a travesty. And so Paul says, what is more, I consider everything a complete loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, who is for his sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Now rubbish in the Greek really means human excrement. That's what he's saying. Everything that I have done, he's saying. Everything that I am as a person, they're like human excrement compared to knowing who Jesus is. My job, my qualifications... My pension plan, my car, my house, my everything is like human waste compared to knowing Jesus. See what he's doing? He's saying like, that's just, just don't even worry about that. You don't go digging around in your own excrement, do you? Of course not. Right? He's saying that's what it's like compared to knowing Christ. Why would you do that? Why would you put so much time and energy Into the one and not into the other. Doesn't make sense. Look what he says in summary in chapter in verse ten. He says, "I want to know Christ. No, not know about. I want to know Him. I want to have that relationship with Him. I want to have the intimacy of a relationship, of a love relationship with Christ. That's what it means to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection." You know, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me. You know that? For your life and for my life. Now you think about how much power it must have taken to raise somebody from the dead. Can you imagine? It's pretty impressive, isn't it? You think about the power that God poured into that dead body in Jesus to raise him back up to life. He's saying, that same power is available to you and to me. That same power can be coursing through our veins right now to help us to live victorious lives. That's what he's saying. I want to know that power, he says, because it's available. When I am connected to the vine, when I am connected to the main stem, that same power is flowing through me to go and bear fruit. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? Bear fruit that will last. Because the power, the resources are there available for us. And if you don't have that power, if you don't feel that power, then you need to question whether you're really connected. If you've never felt that power in your life, where Jesus is just, where His Spirit is just flowing through you to accomplish His purposes, then you need to question, am I really connected? Why is it not flowing through me? because Christ has promised that in his word you will do even greater things than I he said think about all the things that Jesus did he raised Lazarus from the dead he healed people he cast out demons he proclaimed the kingdom of God he said you're going to do even greater things than that those are Jesus' own words He said, why? Because that same Holy Spirit power is going to be flowing through you. And you will do even those things. That's what we see in the book of Acts, isn't it? With those first disciples. And that's what we've seen throughout the history of our brothers and sisters. And that is what to be seen in us. He says, first you need to know Christ. You need to have that intimate relationship with him. That love relationship with him. You know, that happened to me when I was about 16 years of age. I was at a party. I was in my party youth mode. I was out at a party virtually every night of the week. Didn't even know whose house it was I was at. It was a friend of a friend of a friend. I'd taken a girl there, actually. I usually leave this bit out of the story, but... I'd taken a girl there, on a first date. And uh, I, I don't even know why I took her, because I didn't really like her that much. But I took her to the party. She ended up spending the whole time with my best friend. And at the end of the party, he ended up taking her home. And they started going out together, which was cool by me. But anyway, at the party, I was sitting there, I was bored at this party, and I was sitting on the stairs. I remember it now. I was just sitting there, drinking. And I just had that moment and I said, Lord, is this all there is? Is this is what life really about? Just partying? Everybody else is dancing and having a good time. And I was just thinking, you know what? There's got to be more. And I said, Lord, if you are really who you say you are, then I need to follow you. Let me stop messing about. Let me just lay my life before you. Come and be the Lord of my life. Come and take control of my life. Give me a reason. Give me a purpose. Show me your direction. Show me where you want me to go. What you want me to do. And I'll go and do it. And I'll follow you. And at that moment, God's Spirit just came into me. I've been in church all my life up to that point. I knew the stories. been right through the youth ministry and everything. But at that moment, God's Spirit came in and I changed completely. I tell you two big things that changed. First, I had a massive hunger for God's Word. I'd get home from college doing my a levels, and I'd sit and read the Bible. I just wanted to know more about Jesus. I wanted to read it and read it and read it. I couldn't get enough of it. And the second thing that changed was my prayer life. Instead of me just going, Lord, please help me at school, please help me in these exams, Lord, do this, do this, do this, do this, Amen, and I'm out of here. I started waiting and having communication with Jesus. I heard his voice for the first time. We actually, I sat and I listened to the voice of Jesus. And I heard him talking to me as I talked to him. Why? Because i had invited him into the core of who I was. And communication starts. It's not just me bouncing prayers off of an empty ceiling. It's about a living relationship that continues to this day. But to do it, you've got to ask Christ to come in. You've got to know Him. Not know about Him, as good as that is. But you have to know Him in a relationship. wouldn't be much of a marriage to my wife if I never talked to her, would it? If I just shouted at her a few orders, Oh, dearest, can you do this and this and this and this and this and this? this? Thanks very much, I'm out of here. And I never listened to what she had to say. What kind of relationship after... 28 years would that be? It would be rubbish. It would be completely useless. There wouldn't be a relationship at all. It would just be completely one-sided. And so you have to listen and hear and take in God's voice and ask Him what He's doing. He confirms it in so many different ways. You need to know Christ. Secondly, the power of his resurrection. That same power, as I said, is available to us to live within us. Third, it says, you've got to, he says, also, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Kind of, why would you want to share in the sufferings of Christ? You know, when you do a wedding, you make promises to one another, don't you? you do the I do bit, the legal bit and then you say, I David take you Inika to be my wife and then I said to have and to hold from this day forward I had to put a full stop right there but then it carried on I had to say for better in health rich and we'll leave the other bits out shall we? you don't do that do you? You say, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part, this is my solemn vow. Now why do you say those things? Because when you love someone, you want to be with them, you want to experience everything you can experience with them. You don't just want to experience the good times, but the struggles as well. You don't just experience, you know, the wealthy bit, but there's times where we've had nothing. And it's drawn us together. There's times where I've seen inica well, and there's times where I've seen a sick. You know? And it's the whole thing, when you love someone, that you want to experience. You want them, everything. You want to know everything there is to know about them. You want to experience every aspect of life that you can with them. That's what love is, isn't it? You just want the whole thing. Yes, I hope there's going to be more, you know, better rather than worse, richer rather than poorer, health rather than sickness. But whatever, we are committed and we are experiencing those things together. And Paul, in the same way, is saying, You know what, in my relationship with Jesus, that's what I want. I want to experience everything that Jesus experienced because I love him. I want to understand what it was like for Jesus to go through Gethsemane. I want to understand what it was like for Jesus to, to suffer on the cross. I want to understand what it was like for Jesus to be rejected by Judas in the garden. I want to understand what it was like for Jesus. In every single aspect of his life. I want to understand. Why? Because I love him. And when you love someone, you want to understand everything there is to understand. And so Paul says, I want to understand his sufferings. As much as his glory. As much as I want the power of God, of the resurrection of Christ to be flowing through me. I also want to understand what it's like. What he went through for me what was he doing what was it like to suffer like Christ I love him and so I want to understand I want to be there I want to experience it I don't know if anybody here I know a few of you have have had malaria malaria is terrible had it when I was in Uganda had it every month actually I was there but first of all you get this headache, that, or a fever, and then you get a massive headache that feels like your head's going to explode. And then every single bone in your body starts aching. It's unbelievable. I remember when I was in Uganda and I was lying there, having one of these bouts of malaria and I was feeling really, really bad. And generally you have a day on and a day off and a day on, day off and then. And I remember saying, Lord, is this something like you felt on the cross? Is this, is this going any way towards what it was like to suffer? And the Lord said, <laughs> don't be ridiculous. This is nothing. Not even 1% of what I went through. But I was in that place of saying, Lord, you know, in my struggling, in my suffering right now, I want to feel something of what you felt, experience something of what you experienced for me, understand something of how much you truly love me. So Paul says, to share in the suffering, to become like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Jesus said take up your cross every day die to yourself go his way every single day let me ask you a question in closing how satisfied are you with your spiritual life how satisfied are you with your spiritual life I heard about a beggar who was on a street corner and he commented to some people there, he said, if only I had a hundred pounds, I'd never complain again. And at that time a businessman was walking by, and he overheard this conversation. And he stopped, and he turned to this guy, and he said, excuse me, did you just say that if you had a hundred pounds, you would never complain again? And the beggar said, "Yeah, that's what I just told my friends. And so the businessman pulled out his wallet, took out a hundred pounds and gave it to the guy. He says, there you go. And the beggar turned to his friends and said, I should have asked for five hundred. <laughs> How satisfied are you in your spiritual life? Paul says, God says, we need to be dissatisfied. My job is to make you dissatisfied in your spiritual life. What a job! It's true though. Because you know the problem when you're satisfied? You stop doing anything. If I was satisfied in my marriage with Enoch, we would stop growing together, we'd stop working on it, we'd start falling apart, we'd take things for granted, we'd take one another for granted. And then, trouble starts. If you're satisfied in your relationship with Jesus, you'll come to church week by week, you'll read a bit, pray a bit, and go, that's cool, that's, that's my bit done. You'll never grow. You grow when you're dissatisfied. Not dissatisfied with God, but dissatisfied with your relationship with God. I look around here, and I, I, I look at myself first, And I go, my goodness, how far have I got to go in my relationship with Jesus? I want to know him so, so well. that when I meet him face to face, I've already seen him. Because I know him that well. And he knows me. I want him to work within me so much, that there is so little to change in me when I meet him face to face. Because I'm already like him. That, That sanctification process has gone on so far here on earth. It's never going to happen. I know that. You know that. Because you know me. But that's what I want. I look at myself and I think, you know what, Lord? I'm dissatisfied. I want to know you better. That's why I keep reading the Bible over and over and over again. You know, I've read it four or five times, cover to cover. And a number of books, so, so many times. And we're going through it again in the Bible study here. Why? And I'm finding new things in there and God is teaching me new things in there. Because every time I read it, I find I'm growing more and more. Be dissatisfied in your relationship with Jesus. Not with Him, but in how well you know Him, because that will push you to know Him more. You know, I'm dissatisfied with the church. I look here and I think, look at all these empty seats. And look at all the people out there that don't know Jesus. Look at all the people out there that don't have the joy of Jesus Christ in their heart because they don't know Him. They're trying to find it all over the place. and We know where it's to be found. Why are they not here? You know, a lot of people say to me, because Trinity you know, is not doing too bad compared to a lot of other churches around here. But I just go, like, let's stop comparing. Because this church will be full because he's told us it will be full. There will be a balcony at the back, and that will be full as well. There'll be four or five hundred people week by week. You know, we'll be, we'll be having overflow in the main hall with television. You think I'm just joking? You think I'm making it up? And I'm not saying it because we're going to do it, but he's going to do it. Because he has told us through so many different people. People that doesn't, haven't even known who we are. I'll tell you about it on the 20th of July. If you come to the service. To the one service. But look at the way things are expanding and growing here. But I'm still dissatisfied. I will always be dissatisfied. Until we become a perfect church. Following him. In exactly the way we should. And is that ever gonna happen? No. Not while I'm here anyway. I'll tell you that now. Because, why? Because there's always more, and more, and more. That's not to be critical of where we're at, and to be down on ourselves. But to set the goal in front of us, and to say, you know what? There is more. There is so much more. Many people are dissatisfied with the wrong things. We should be dissatisfied with the right things. Because Christ wants to come in and have that kind of relationship with you. He wants to speak with you and be with you and commune with you. So that you can hear His voice and He can hear your voice. That you can grow in your knowledge and your love of Him as He cherishes you and nurtures you and helps you. And you'll do that as you link with Him, as you invite Him into your life over and over and over again. And as you continually seek him, because you say, Lord, I want more and more and more of you. I want to see that power of Christ working more and more in me and in one another here. I want to see those same miracles. I want to see people rise from the dead in Harrow. I want to see people healed of sickness in Harrow. I want to see relationships brought back together in Harrow. I want to see people that do not know you come to know you in Harrow. That's what we want to see. And that is what Christ has promised us. Know Him. Forget everything else. That's just window dressing. Know Jesus Christ. Yearn for Him in your heart. Yearn for him in your life. Grab every opportunity you have to grow in that relationship. And then you will see the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead working in you, in one another, in his church. And that is where true joy is to be found. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We're sorry first, Lord, that sometimes we become religious. All of us do. We come we come to worship you and we go through the motions. And we don't connect with you. Lord, forgive us. Because here you are offering yourself, it's why you died. That we might have life and have it abundantly. That we might have the joy of knowing you. And sometimes we just spurn that. Forgive us. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you offer yourselves to us. You stand at the door and knock. You said, if anybody opens the door, I will come in. You did that when I was 16. You've done that to so many people here. Lord, we want you to do that to everybody in this borough. Everybody in this city that it may be transformed for your glory and your honour. You did it in Nineveh when Jonah went and said, you need to repent and the people repented. Lord, do it here. Do it amongst us. Do it in our community around. Do it in our households. In our families. Do it in this, your city. And I thank you, Lord, that you place within us such a yearning to grow more and more, to see you more and more at work in us. We know that means you've got to clear out the rubbish in our lives that we place there. Sometimes we put other goals in there. Sometimes we, we put other priorities above you. Lord, that relationship with you needs to be, number one, help us to keep it there. That we can be channels of your Spirit, The power of the resurrection flowing through us. Blessing us and others. Transform us. Make us more like your son. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.